The sermon is about finding the peace and the presence of God. That's our topic this morning as it relates to abiding, finding the peace and the presence of God. And so I just want to read a couple words to you, and I want you to internally reflect upon whether or not any of these words escape your mouth during the week to describe your heart when you're talking to your best friends, when you're talking to your spouse or a parent or your kids, whoever it might be, do any of these words pass your mind or escape your lips? Feeling flustered, rushed, nervous, anxious, panicky, worried, angry, upset, agitated, frustrated, concerned, mad, annoyed, overwhelmed, sick of it, depressed, melancholy, trapped, like you just want to run away or hide. I think that probably almost everybody in the room would say at some point in time during the week, if not on a regular daily basis, those thoughts and those words escape our, our minds. And so the question that we really want to wrestle with today is what does it even mean to feel peace, to feel at peace? You know, the passage that we're talking about is this promise of having the peace of God. And so what does that even mean? I mean, when was the last time, if you're honest with yourself, that you stepped back and you said, I really feel at peace? In this moment, I feel completely at peace. And then beyond that, realizing that the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, is different than the presence of God, right? The peace of God is different than the presence of God. I think the presence of God, feeling, sensing the presence of God is even more elusive than the peace of God. Um, and it's hard to even explain that to someone. Matter of fact, I think that that's why the scriptures say, if you've tasted and seen, I think there's a sense in which the, pe the presence of God is such a difficult thing to comprehend and to explain to another person that it's almost like one of those things that only unless you've experienced it yourself can I actually do you know what I'm even talking about? But the Bible teaches us that God wants us to experience both the peace of God and the presence of God, not as an elusive thing, but on a regular basis. And so if we think about our own lives, I mean, I'm a believer, a follower of Jesus Christ, and I don't feel filled with God's peace nearly as often as I would like, right? Instead, I mean, I don't snap at my kids because I'm filled with peace. Instead, I often feel flustered, frustrated, melancholy. And so the question for me is, how do I experience the peace of God? And even as a pastor, there's times when I feel so far from God's presence. And having tasted and seen his presence, having experienced his presence, there's a part of you which wants to claw back to it. But it's beyond you. You cannot manufacture the presence of God. And so the question is, well, how do we experience the presence of God, if that's even the right term? And we know that people want to desperately experience the presence of God because there's entire models of, quote, doing church that are all about trying to manufacture the presence of God because we want to scratch at his glory, in Philippians chapter 4, we see two promises. We see a promise of how to experience his peace. We see a promise of how to experience his presence. And not only do we see the promise, that Paul actually goes out of his way to tell us how. Now, these things, they are, they're difficult. 
Even godly men in the scriptures found them difficult. And I can tell you that because there's two men who were in prison on two separate occasions, and we see what they said and wrote completely differently. The first was John the Baptist, who after speaking out against Herod because he, he committed adultery and married his brother's wife, he speaks out against Herod and he gets arrested. And while he's in prison, he begins to wrestle through all of his doubts and he sends a messenger to Jesus and he basically says, hey, like, are you the one we were waiting for or not? And Jesus' response to him is that, listen, the blind see, the lame walk, and blessed is the one who's not offended by me. And then we see, we so, in other words, John reacts much the way we would, right? And then we see Paul, who writes the letter of Philippians from prison. And the entire letter of Philippians is really about Paul's plan for joy. And so we see these two men, both in prison, who had very different perspectives. And then Paul culminates this letter talking about Philippians 4.13, which everybody memorizes so they can finish their marathon. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. But really, Paul's talking about finding joy even in prison, being content in all circumstances. And so today, we want to look at how we experience these things. And, we, and the, the things that we're going to discuss today are really the bedrock. They're like those foundational stones of how to abide, how to draw near. Or as Steve pointed out in our elder meeting uh, last week, that Jesus says, come and see, come and follow me, right? And then eventually, he says, stay with me. Stay with me. Come and see, follow me, remain with me. That word abide means remain, means stay, means dwell. And so how do we do that? See, for most of us, we want peace and we want presence, but we don't want the prerequisites that are required in order to get those things. We just hope that the Holy Spirit zaps us with a lightning bolt and we get that stuff. But that's not what the scriptures teach. And so if you're here and you feel like you're lacking in peace, and if you're here and you don't just constantly walk in the Shekinah presence of God, I'd encourage you to pay attention because peace and presence are the results of abiding. But the abiding practices, that's what we need to look at today. And so Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 to 9 or we're gonna, and we're going to start here with these first couple of verses. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. In other words, he's coming back soon. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, which is a fancy word for asking, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So we see, whenever you read these passages, one of the first things you want to do is look for clear commands, imperatives. And so we see two commands here to really focus on. The first is this, rejoice in the Lord always. Rejoice in the Lord always. Rejoicing, what does rejoicing mean? Rejoicing is essentially choosing joy. That's really what rejoicing is. It's choosing joy in something that you know to be true. And so you're rejoicing in the Lord, the truth of the Lord. You're choosing to have joy in the truths about the Lord. 
And so rejoicing, realize it's not a suggesting, it's not a suggestion, and it's also not something that you just have to wait for it to hit you. Like, well, I'll rejoice when I feel like it. We are commanded here and elsewhere to rejoice. Matter of fact, it's always commanded. It's commanded all the time. We must always choose to rejoice, to find our joy in the Lord, to praise the Lord. So re to rejoice means to find our joy in the Lord. It's more than just worshiping him or singing to him, though that can be part of it. So why, are, why do we always have reasons to rejoice? See, we can rejoice always because of God's salvation, and we can rejoice always because of our new identities. David read that passage of scripture as, we were, as he led us into worship from Romans chapter 8, that we can rejoice because no one, even me, no one, he says nothing, no one can separate you from the love of God. So even on my worst days, I can rejoice that even I can't separate myself from God's love. Now that's a great, that's a great promise, guys, because that means that it doesn't give you permission to abuse it, but it means that you're not going to out-sin God's grace. And that if you have a terrible week, month, year, God's not going to say, I'm done tolerating you. I'm sick of it. You swore one too many times. Now you're off the boat. That's not the way that it works in God's economy. We can rejoice always because we've been reborn as children of God. We can rejoice because we've been reborn. We're now members of a new family. We're ambassadors filled with a new purpose. And so if you're one of those kids who grew up playing video games and your whole childhood, you were like, man, I feel like I'm made for more than this. Like I should be killing dragons or something. You were made for more than this. It's God's amazing purposes to go out and declare war in the spiritual realms. We can rejoice even when we're suffering, when the apostles were arrested, when the apostles were beaten for preaching the name of Christ, it says they left rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name of Jesus. They remembered what Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount when he said, blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil things about you. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. And so we can rejoice when we suffer because we know that the best is yet to come. And Jesus will outgive out anything that we sacrifice. He says anyone who gives up brothers or sisters or fields or whatever it is, he says they're going to get a hundredfold more in, in the next age, in this age and the next. We can rejoice. We can rejoice always. We can rejoice even in this life when we don't get the things we want and we can't afford the boat or the bigger house or to go on vacation and we're never going to see the Himalayas. And we can rejoice because in the next life, in the new heavens and new earth, we can do all that and more and we can do it without being worried about spraining an ankle, right? We can rejoice. We can rejoice knowing that the joy of the Lord is our strength. And if I rejoice, I find strength in him. We can rejoice knowing that he works all things together for the good of those who love him. We can rejoice knowing that God's gifts and his call are irrevocable. We can rejoice that one day we will live face to face with the Lord. We can always rejoice. And so rejoicing is choosing joy because of what we know to be true about the Lord. We rejoice of what the Lord has done, what he continues to do, what he will do, regardless of what's going on today in our lives. 
And I guarantee you, if you think through the people you've known in your life, you think through your, your grandparents and people who were in the faith for decades, I guarantee you one of the things that strikes you about their faith is that they had a calm, rejoicing spirit, even in hardship. As opposed to what Paul says not to be. And so command number two, he says, don't worry about anything, instead pray. Don't worry about anything, instead pray. But then he clarifies that idea of praying with certain postures in your heart. He says, be reasonable, remember that Jesus is coming back soon, and be thankful. And so you're supposed to pray, you're supposed to rejoice and pray, and then he gives these postures of your prayers. And I love how the first one is be reasonable. He says, let your reasonableness be evident, okay? Now, if I say to you, hey, you got a, you, you got, like, you have a doctor's bill for $150 that you got to pay. It was a mistake in the billing, you owe that. And you just all of a sudden are like, is God even real? Not reasonable, Right? That's not reasonable. It's not a reasonable response to who you are, who God is. And so we all know people who aren't reasonable, right? I mean, we expect that from, from, from kids. But when we meet adults who are like that, you know, when something goes wrong, it's like they're five minutes late and they're like, I don't even know if the Lord loves me. And you're like, relax. Be reasonable, okay? <laughs> oh, I feel like everybody in the room is like, oh, I know someone exactly like that. Be reasonable. And so he says, don't worry, pray, and also be reasonable. Like, take it easy. It's going to be okay. And he says, be reasonable. Why? The Lord is at hand. Jesus is coming back soon. What's the worst thing that's going to happen to you? You're going to die and go be with Jesus. That's the worst thing that's going to happen to you. And so be reasonable because even in a worst case scenario, it's going to be fine. That's basically what Paul is saying. He's in prison awaiting execution. They cut off my head? All right. It doesn't matter to me. And that's basically what Paul's perspective was. If you send me to prison, I'm going to preach in prison. If you let go of me, I'm going to go preach the gospel over there. It doesn't really matter to me. So whether I live or whether I die, I'm going to live for Christ. I don't care. That's what he says earlier on in Philippians. And so the perspective is reasonable because it is tempered by truth. And so if you don't know truth, you're going to be unreasonable because then you're tempering all of your responses by emotions. Are you guys following me? So you be reasonable. Remember, Jesus, the king, is coming back soon. All of this, all of this, the good, the bad, and the ugly, it's passing away. He's going to correct every wrong. He's going to bring justice against every sin and every injustice. And so remember, he's come back soon. Be reasonable. And also be thankful. Be thankful. Um, I read an R.C. Sproul book a couple, uh, I don't know, maybe like a month or two ago. Actually, my discipleship group is going to read it. It's just a little like $3 book on the parables. And in one of the parables, he's talking about how the two root sins of everything is irreverence and ingratitude. And I mean, that's a pretty bold claim to make. So I started really thinking about that. And I have to say that I, I think he's right. Irreverence, not giving God the honor that he's due, and then ingratitude. If you think about it, why would covetousness 
make, like if you made a top 10, the top 10 things people shouldn't do, like yeah, don't murder, those would make your list. But would covetousness make your list? I wouldn't have made my list with the Ten Commandments, but it makes God's list. And when you really think about it, so much of our struggles goes back to covetousness. Whether it's insecurities about who we are, our bodies, jealousy, envy, whether it's wanting more, it all goes back to covetousness. He says, be thankful. Be thankful. Not just, and you know what? Sometimes the scriptures say, be thankful in all things. And sometimes it even says, be thankful for all things. Not just be thankful in it. Like, well, I'm, I'm, glad that, I'm not glad this happened, but at least the real mark of maturity is to actually be thankful for it, not just in it. And then Paul gives a promise. He says, if you are rejoicing, and if you're praying with these postures, being reasonable, remembering that Christ is at hand, being thankful, this is the promise you get. This is a promise if you do those things. The peace of God will guard your heart and mind. He says it surpasses understanding. Why does it surpass understanding? Because this kind of peace gives you peace when you shouldn't have peace. And when you talk with someone who's lost a loved one, who was just diagnosed with cancer or these sorts of things, and they will tell you that the peace they have is supernatural, that it, they shouldn't have it, but they feel at peace. And that peace doesn't last forever, but God gives you that grace in the moment, not before. He gives it to you in the moment so that you have peace in that moment. If you have this posture of prayer and reasonableness and thanksgiving. He says it will guard your heart and mind in the Lord. A guard present, prevents someone or something from attacking you. Um, so I'm kind of a geek. And I grew up playing video games, role-playing games, Dungeons and Dragons, the whole nine yards, right? If you watched Stranger Things, I guess I was basically in the Hellfire Club. Like, that's what, you know, that, that's what I played growing up. And when you had a battle, you always had something in front of you, which we called a tank. And it was a character who had a strong defense to protect you so that the wimpy mages and wizards in the back could throw their spells because they were squishy. That's what we said. So those of you guys who are, you're like smiling, you're pretending like you don't like video games, but you know exactly what I'm talking about. The reason I bring this up is because it says that the peace of God is going to guard your heart and mind. In other words, the peace of God is like that tank. It's like that shield. And so when something goes to attack your heart, the peace of God deflects it and guards it and protects it. So it can't get to your heart unless it gets through the shield. And then the peace of God also guards your mind. So when the attacks of the enemy come, it's protected by that shield so that it can't get in. So this is the point. Number one, if you want to find peace at all times, in turmoil or not, then you need to abide in prayer. You cannot have peace if you don't abide in prayer. And if you're the kind of person who never has peace, I understand, because I'm like that, I guarantee you, you need to analyze your prayer life. 
because the people who have the most amazing prayer lives are also more at peace. I promise it. It's a biblical promise. And so you abide in prayer, rejoicing, reflecting, remembering God's truth, thanking him while telling him what you need, trusting that he's both sovereign and good, and God is going to get between you and whatever assails you like that tank, and he's going to take the hits for you. You understand? I really was hoping my, my nerd reference would go over better, guys. But you know what? I'm not mad at you because the peace of God <laughs> is guarding my insecurities. There's no illusions of my coolness. All right, verse 8. So that's, that's number one, abide in, the pr in prayer, abiding in prayer, dwelling in prayer, remaining in prayer. And then verse 8 and 9, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. So now, that's your first command. That's an imperative. Think about these things. That's command number one. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. Command number two. And here's the promise. The God of peace will be with you. So notice the first time he said, and the peace of God will be with you. And now he says, the God of peace. So before was the peace, and now is the presence. So once again, two commands and a promise, but this time it's for the presence of God instead of the peace of God. And so command number one is think. Think about these things. You know, when we look at this list, it just kind of mushes together in our brains. And I find, because I'm a pessimist, that sometimes it's easier to understand the positive if we think about the negative, understand the negative. And so let's look at this. He says, think about whatever is true. Well, what's the opposite of truth? Falsehood. Let's, let's hash that out. Those are things that are lies. That's conjecture. That's conspiracy. That's gossip, right? You just eliminated like 85% of all media, right? It's mostly, that's what it is. Lies, conspiracy, gossip, and conjecture. Almost all the news we read on a daily basis falls into one of those four categories, right? So we look at the word, which we know to be true, and then we compare that to TikTok, Twitter, news feeds, and celebrity gossip. And so he doesn't say, make sure you're thinking about celebrity gossip. He says, make sure you're thinking about what is true, not conjecture, not conspiracies on TikTok, not lies, not gossip. Second thing is honorable. Well, the opposite of honorable is shameful. Shameful. As I was thinking about what is this, I mean, there's a lot of things. If I say shameful, probably you can think of some things. But instead of going to like the far worst examples of things that are shameful, let's just think about things that are in front of our face all the time. When you go on any news website, whether that's a mainstream news or whether it's something like Yahoo while you're waiting to check your email, right? you see all kinds of clickbait, right? You guys know what clickbait is. 
clickbait, and the clickbait typically reads something like this. This quarterback's wife just had an affair. And you're like, oh my gosh, what quarterback was it? And who is she? And who does she have an affair with? Right? That's an example of just shameful stuff. Even if it's true, you don't need to focus on it. Right? You don't need to focus on that. It's shameful things. It's better to focus on things that are true and honorable. Good news, right? Testimonies of what God is doing. He says what is just and right and holy and sacred. The opposite of that, that which breaks the law. That's stories and shows that glorify the bad guy, right? That's what's the opposite of just. Things that are pure. The opposite of that is that which carnal or fleshly. That's all of that clickbait that you see when you go on these websites, like the example that I just gave. But it's also going and just browsing stuff like Reddit, which is like the dark corner of the internet, or just browsing YouTube as you go down these YouTube holes. He says, think about what's lovely. Well, the opposite of lovely is what's gross. And all I could think about were things like fail videos. Like watching videos of people break their ankles, like this kind of stuff, it really is popular. I mean, I don't want to gross you guys out, but I learned that apparently watching, this is true. Some of you guys are going to laugh. Some of you guys are going to be like, I, I don't know what, I, now I know what's wrong with the world. Apparently watching people pop pimples is a thing on TikTok. It's like, it's like one of the trends. It's like they watch people lance boils. Listen, that's what Paul's like. Don't just focus on what's gross. Get off the pimple popping TikTok channel. Okay? He says instead, think about what's commendable as opposed to foolishness. Think about what's praiseworthy. We should be like a tree in Psalm 1 whose roots go down deep, we're meditating on what is true day and night. And because of that, our, our leaves never wither and we bear fruit in the right season. That's command number one. Command number two, he says, don't just think about this stuff. Practice these things. Practice these things. Do these things. Obey these things. But I love that Paul says practice because practice implies that you're not going to knock it out of the park the first time. He says, practice it. You're going to be terrible. You're going to fail. You're going to mess up. He doesn't say, do it. Just do it. No, he says, practice it. The stuff you saw in me, practice it. The stuff you heard from me, practice it. Keep practicing. Paul wants them to take what they've heard, what they've learned, what they've received, what they've seen in his life. He wants to put those things into practice. James, Jesus' brother, says, don't just be a hearer, a hearer of the word, be a doer of the word. Or as you see on our stickers and our magnets, there's one here on the speaker, hear and obey. It's the Shema, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. The, he, the Hebrew word for hear is also the Hebrew word for obey. It's hearing and obeying. And so if you think about like an XY chart, you know, this is kind of, this forms like an XY chart. You can think of that however way you want. So think of an XY chart, and one is thinking, and the other one is practicing. If you just think, then it, if you think about it like a tree, your root will go really deep. 
But in Psalm 1, it says that it's near streams of water, and so it's also getting its nutrients of water. And so it's going deep, but it's also going wide. And that gives it a lot of stability and strength as its roots go towards that life-giving water, and then it's going to produce fruit. It's going to bear fruit, rather. And so these two things have to happen. You have to think about the right things and then practice the right things. And if you do that, God gives you a wonderful promise. And this is his promise. The God of peace will be with you. If you hear and obey, the God of peace will be with you. If you just hear, the God of peace will not be with you. If you just act busy, and never hear and never think. In other words, if you're busy doing Christian stuff, but you never slow down to meditate on the word, you won't have the presence of God with you. And if you just study and never apply what you're learning, you won't have the presence of God with you. That's an enormous claim that Paul just made. How do you scratch at the presence of God? By deeply meditating on who he is and then implementing what he shows you. Hearing and obeying. Practicing, thinking. All right, let's land this plane. It should come as no surprise to you that that which you put into your mind influences you. And that's why it's important that we're thinking about the right things. It's one of the reasons it's important that we rejoice and are thankful. Because if all we do is focus on our problems, it's going to shape who we are. And if we never read the word and instead we just read our Facebook news feed, it's going to shape who we are. So MIT, they wanted to make sure this was true. This just came out in the news like two days ago. And so what they did was they developed an artificial intelligence um, program and they were just going to feed it a certain type of news and then they were going to do a test on it and so what they did was they had this this ai um program and all they exposed the ai it's artificial intelligence all they exposed the ai program to was really foul dark stuff from the website reddit so that's all of the terrible things that go beyond pimple popping videos. Terrible stuff, violent stuff, snuff, all of those kinds of terrible things that are like the dark corner of the web. And then they had other AI programs that just ex were exposed to normal Reddit stuff, which I guess is like videos of cats and things like that, okay? And so, that was a joke, the internet's for cats, guys. Okay, and so anyway, then what they did was they showed those two programs Rorschach inkblots, right? And they showed the two, the same inkblot to both programs, and they said, what do you see? And in the AI program that just had normal exposure to things, it would, and I'm not joking, these are real answers. It said things like, I see a vase with flowers. And then they showed the same inkblot to the AI program that had only been exposed to what was dark, and it said things like, I see a pregnant woman being murdered. And then they would show it to, show an inkblot over here, and they would say, I see three friends holding hands. And then over here, and they would say, I see a man jumping out of a bottom window after he just robbed a house. And so the point is, everything that you put into your brain influences you and changes you. This is so crucial for our kids to learn in a day when technology and media is shoved in front of them 
from a very young age. If we dwell on the things that are wrong, then we won't have peace. If we dwell on that which is ungodly or mindless, we won't experience God's presence. You see, this is about feasting your mind on the things of God. So perhaps you feel like you're missing God's peace in your life. Paul's counsel to you is you need to abide in prayer. And then he gives some counsel on what that looks like. And perhaps you're here and you say, I don't know if I've ever experienced the presence of God. Paul's counsel to you is to abide in hearing and obeying the word. Those two things, prayer and the word, hearing and obeying, thinking and practicing. See, but here's the thing. Both of these issues are like spirals, and you just go deeper and deeper and deeper. You don't pray, and then you're done. And what happens, the same way we build up like resistances to things on the negative side, you actually build up resistances to things on the positive side. That what satisfied my soul 20 years ago does not satisfy my soul today. And what that means is that with each passing year, I have to spend more time with the Lord, not less time. I have to be more intentional about my prayer life, not less. I need to be more intentional about my thought life, not less. Because as we grow closer and closer into being like Jesus, and there's not some threshold of time, don't mishear me, but as we grow more like Christ, we lose our flavor more and more for the things of the world, and we crave the things of God. And so we cooperate with the Spirit in that journey instead of grieving the Spirit. So, if you say, I don't know where to begin with prayer, I don't know where to begin with reading the Word, I would encourage you to come right over here and sign up for the ABCs of Healthy Discipleship, for the Hub, because it's literally what we're going to talk about for, for about half of the class, okay? If you say, I don't have time for that, too busy on TikTok, then grab one of these on your way out, and this just gives you some really easy reminders of how to journal, how to abide in the Word. It goes through the prayer wheel, spending five minutes in each section teaching you to pray. And so I would just encourage you, make sure everybody grabs one of these trifolds on the way out. They're over there. And if you need more help than that, I would encourage you, sign up for the Hub. If you've never gone through the Hub, I know there's a lot of you guys who started coming during the pandemic and you have never been to the Hub. You should go to the Hub. In a former day, we didn't even let people do certain things until they went through the Hub, okay? And so if you've never done that, it will change your life. I promise you, okay? Let me pray. Father God, we want to experience your peace and we want to experience your presence. Lord, teach us to remain in prayer. Teach us how to meditate on your word. And help us put these things into practice. Lord, I just read this morning in 2 Thessalonians that Paul prayed that we would have the Holy Spirit in fullness so that we can live a life that's honoring to you. You Send your son to die on a cross for our sins so we could be forgiven. And then you raised him from the dead so that we could live forever with him. And then after ascending, you sent the Holy Spirit, your Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus, to live within your people 
so that you could empower us to now follow Jesus as king in this present age. I pray, God, that we would cooperate with your Holy Spirit instead of grieving your Holy Spirit. I pray that we would know that you only want what is good for us. You want us to experience your peace and your presence. I pray, Lord, that we would do that. I pray that you would be merciful and gracious as we stumble forward trying to figure out how to do this well. Thank you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen.